Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome back to ETFs for Beginners, where we peer down the investing microscope to magnify the ETF microbiota. And as always, I'm joined by Anna Christina. Hello, Anna. Hi, Phil. I always love your intros. They make me laugh. <laughs> That's what I'm writing them for. Would you like to introduce today's guest? Who have we got on today? For sure. We have Sarah King, Head of Client Care and Advice at StockSpot. Sarah currently advises tens of thousands of clients in her position at StockSpot, and she helps clients invest into smart, low-cost investment portfolios to reach their financial goals. So thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. What a wonderful introduction. Thanks for having me. So let's kick it off. We'd love to hear a little bit about your background in financial services. Yeah, so I guess my my background in financial services stems all the way back to probably being fresh out of university. I mean, even during my time at university, I had a love of maths and business and, you know, even started out coaching a couple of kids with maths. And then I even, during my days at uni, uh, worked for a lady editing copy for the Securities Institute, which is now Kaplan. So always had a love of sort of finance and business. But I spent a lot of time in my youth also working as a customer service person, you know, in in this fine food shop down Sydney's northern beaches for about nine years. And it was run by a mother and daughter. And they saw that, you know, I would potentially make a great financial planner. So actually introduced me to their own financial planner. And I met him for a coffee. His name was Bruce. And we had a really good chat. And, you know, out of that, he actually offered me a job. And that was my foray into financial advising and started really at um, grassroots level, you know, as a junior financial planner. But then I got hungry and I knew that I wanted to do more and started studying again. I'd already just done a five-year business degree and then started studying my graduate diploma in financial planning. And that was something I was doing part-time while working full-time. So it was a busy schedule and I did that for the best part of three years. I then decided I wanted to travel and it was really the onset of the global financial crisis here and around the world. So I packed my bag and traveled to London on my own and had a view of, you know, studying Spanish in Barcelona for a few months, but then hoping to do some advice work over there as well. But it was really, really a tough time. There was no work and the type of advice work over there in the UK was very different to what I knew here. It was very commission driven and a model that really didn't align with my values that I'd learned as an advisor working over here for an independent financial planning firm, uh, Centric Wealth at the time, I really had to get creative. I knew I wanted to stay in London. I thought, how can I stay in the finance industry? And I really pivoted and I ended up going into, I guess, an executive assistant role working for the global head of real estate at Morgan Stanley. Um, So I went from my passion for helping people with their money, went to helping executives in a very different way. And boy, did I, I learned a lot through that experience, but it just meant that I was able to stay in the industry and also 
continue living in London. So, you know, then long story short, I came back here and did a couple of swimmer roles, working for big teams at Deutsche Bank, and then eventually at Kohlberg, Kravis, Roberts, or KKR as they're known, which is a private equity firm. And in doing that, I think by the time I got to KKR, I really um, took a step back and looked at where I was and looked at all of my skills and thought, you know, I've done all this advice work. I really want to help people. The industry's changing. I don't want to work in a financial planning firm as we knew it in that old way. And I'd learn about this sort of robo-advice category and, and was doing a bit of research and had sort of looked and followed a few over in the US and, yeah, eventually discovered Stockspot. And it really, the timing of joining Stockspot aligned with me wanting to help more women starting to invest and, and yeah, just knowing that there's a better way and a different way to do it. And um, I've been at, yeah, at Stockspot for almost five years now. Five years, that's fantastic. And what a diverse background to get you to where you are now. What's your definition of robo-advising for people who don't know what that actually means? It's a good question because I think it's still a relatively new category in terms of financial advice. So the way that we talk about it to clients is automated advice or digital advice. So, you know, traditionally you would go and see a financial advisor face-to-face, you'd have a meeting, they'd come up with a plan and they'd help you invest your money and achieve whatever goals, for example. So we do that for our clients online. Our clients sign up and they get a personalized statement of advice and we help them go into a portfolio that's aligned to their goals, their risk appetite and their investment timeframe. And we really manage that whole process for our clients. So it's automated. There's a lot of things that we do and I can touch on that a little bit more in our conversation, but it's really a way that's making advice and investing accessible for Australians. And traditionally, that hasn't been the way. You need to have a lot of money to do it. So it's really helped to break down those barriers and make it something that everyone can access. It's just really interesting to hear about your background in that um, you are obviously interested from a very early age, but it's quite unusual, isn't it? Um, Do you find that that a lot of Australians and a lot of people have basically got no idea about financial well-being? Is that what your experience is? It has been. I mean, even for myself, you know, I started working when I was 11 and started paying superannuation when I was 16. I had no idea what it was. Hang on, isn't that that illegal to work (laughs) at 11? (laughs) Child labour laws and all that? It was, but I loved it. (laughs) I earned some very good pocket money from a young age. But, you know, that really taught me the value of saving from a young age. But I think what's really lacking yet is that financial literacy and education in the school system, in the curriculum. And, you know, even today we're seeing more, we are seeing more people wanting to be educated on finance, but there's still um, a long way to go. And that's what I talk to a lot of clients about every day, equipping them with the knowledge they need to make good financial choices and informed choices in a way that's um, really easy to understand and jargon free. And how have you found the traditional financial planning industry? Is it sort of up to the challenges at the moment or does it require a technological turnaround like we're seeing with the fintech space at the moment to actually be able to get this advice to people? Yeah, I mean, I think that the industry itself is really evolving. There's a lot of new educational requirements that have come in through, it's called this FASIA exam, which I sat late last year, and we're seeing huge amounts of advisors exiting the industry. I think 17,000 or so have left, or that might be the the amount that's remaining, but it's very, very limited. And what it is, is it's the cost of compliance, the cost of preparing plans is just prohibitive for a lot of these traditional planning firms. So what they are finding is that they have 
have to automate processes. They have to bring in technology to make it scalable and cut out those costs because at the end of the day, those costs get passed on to the consumer. And that's really what's making financial advice prohibitive for so many Australians. There's a huge advice gap in Australia. So many Australians just need a bit of advice, whether it's around investing to reach certain goals, advice around superannuation, advice around structuring their investments correctly. But a lot of people have the perception that it's far too expensive and and therefore just don't go and get the advice. So I think fintech is definitely having a role in, I guess, democratising this space, breaking down those barriers and making it so much more affordable. I mean, our clients pay a fraction of the cost of what you'd pay seeing a traditional financial advisor. So yeah, and I think there's a long way to go. I think there's a lot of work that can be done to get the word out there that you can invest in a way that's affordable and in a way that's going to be transparent and help you reach your goals long term. And that's really a part of my role and and really what we're championing here at Stockspot. Okay, so in the financial planning space, you mentioned the statement of advice. So how does Stockspot give an affordable statement of advice compared to the traditional financial planning industry? Yeah, so interestingly, we don't charge our clients for that financial statement of advice preparation. So our clients would go through a series of questions. They go to our website and we ask them, you know, what account type do you want to open? What are your goals? You know, what's your investment timeframe? And a couple of scenario-based questions around their risk profile so that we can accurately capture that. And then out of that, we give them a portfolio recommendation. And they might fit into one of our five portfolios based on, you know, whether they're more conservative, balanced or high growth. And part of that process is that we generate their statement of advice. So it's automated. So our clients get this beautiful document clearly articulating, you know, their portfolio recommendation, our investment philosophy, everything about the investments we include in our portfolios. We have exchange traded funds in our portfolios with links to fact sheets, product disclosure statements. So really, they're paying nothing for that. Compared to an advisor, you could be paying 2000 3000 5000 or more. So it's a huge benefit. And it just means that so many more people can access investment advice with us compared to yeah, going to a bank or a financial planner. When you talk to these clients that are on Stockspot, what are some of the questions that you hear from them? What are some of the goals that they're trying to achieve? Yeah, we get so many. I mean, for our clients who are already investing, it can be really about why do we have ETFs in the portfolio? What investment strategy is right for me? Can I invest for multiple goals? Can I have, you know, a mixture of portfolios, one more conservative, one more growth? We get questions around returns. You know, ETFs pay these things called distributions. Is that the same as a dividend? How does capital growth work? A lot of questions around, you know, when is the right time to invest? Should I hold off? Should I start now? I think that's one of our most common questions, particularly around market timing. And also the benefit of, you know, putting everything in today versus using a dollar cost averaging strategy and regularly drip feeding money in over time. We then have questions around portfolio rebalancing. You know, some clients will comment on, you've sold something that's doing really well to buy something that's not doing as well. That's counterintuitive. Why would you do that? And that's our optimized portfolio rebalancing doing its work. So there's such a high range of questions, you know, investing for kids, and it can really vary depending on the experience of the client, or it could be someone very new, they've just discovered Stockspot and they want to know how it works, how can we help them. So myself and my team, 
you know, we're on live chat, we're answering calls, we're on email and really giving all of our clients a very personalized, tailored experience and giving them, I guess, the education information they need so that they have, yeah, a great experience. And yeah, so it's such a varied suite of questions, but there's certainly some of the more common ones that we see. So Sarah, in your experience, they get a bit of a statement to help them kind of understand what the best investment for them is, but then they also get this tailored feedback or information when they do have those questions as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's all part of our ongoing service. And I think that's what sets us apart from, you know, there's a lot of different options out there in the marketplace now. And because we are, you know, we're a licensed advisor, we put a lot of time and effort into that ongoing advice component with our clients and the ongoing service. So no matter if a client's, you know, a $2,000 first time investor to a very sophisticated self-managed super fund client or higher value client, we still give that care and attention to all of our clients so that, yeah, we're setting them up for success. They're learning along the way. They're getting educated and having a great experience with us as well. And it's something that myself and my team really value. So what are some of the the common investing misconceptions you hear about? I mean, obviously people are going to come to you and if they were left to their own devices, they're going to be making a lot of mistakes. What are some of these mistakes that hopefully people can avoid and what do they think about investing? Yeah, I mean, the common ones that we see is often around market timing, you know, trying to time the market, waiting for the top or the bottom to get in and out. And what that can mean is that clients leave their money sitting on the sidelines and they they never get in or they, they miss those really important opportunities when the market actually soars and that can generate most of their returns in a given year. Other misconceptions are, I think a lot of our clients tend to want to be more growth focused and often their risk profile isn't quite suited to that. And they often don't understand that until they experience a fall and realize that they're not quite as comfortable being in that higher growth strategy versus something probably more conservative or what was recommended to them in the first place. I think there's a lot of hype around theme investments at the moment, cryptocurrencies, all of these alternative investments and that they're going to help clients generate a better return. Whereas really, you know, the more simple you can keep your portfolio, the better diversified across a mix of growth and defensive investments. So we have bonds and gold in our portfolio is really going to help set you up for that consistent returns over the long term, but also help you to manage risk along the way. There's certainly some of the the common things um, that we see. So a lot of our job is to offer guidance ensure our clients aren't tempted to buy and sell at the wrong time, manage their behaviour and invest into things that are sensible, that are low cost and offer lots and lots of diversification, which is really, you know, from my perspective, the most important things when you're investing. And I I think there's always problems. It can be problematic to consider yourself conservative. I mean, you hear stories about young people just starting their first job and they're signing up with their new super account and they tick the conservative option because, you know, I'm a conservative person. I don't want to take any risk, but they're actually not going to be doing themselves any favours in the long term when you consider the time horizon they're looking at. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, with your superannuation, you have decades ahead. You know, you can't access it until you're 60s. So going into something more conservative isn't necessarily doing you any favours. You want to have a strategy that's aligned to your time horizon. And when you have decades, you can definitely afford to be more growth focused. For example, in our high growth portfolio, we see a minimum of seven to 10 years. So similar with your super, I think it's important for everyone to look at their strategy. Have you been bucketed into a, a default fund that might 
might not be the right asset allocation for your life stage and give your fund a call or, you know, even your financial advisor if you're still not sure, just to make sure that you're in the right strategy for your life stage because, yeah, you miss out on a lot of growth potential. I love that term, bucketed into a fund. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty much how it's been for a long time. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So I've checked out the StockSpot website and I, I see that you have sustainable investing, which is quite popular at the moment. I'd love for you to just kind of elaborate on that and, and what have you seen in terms of recent trends towards sustainability and ethical investing? Yeah, this is a huge trend. I mean, sustainable investing, it's a mega trend. It's here to stay. We really saw immense popularity off the back of the COVID, you know, market crash back in 2020. I think when a lot of, I don't know, a lot of individuals just had more time to think about, you know, what was happening on a global basis, you know, thinking about the environment, climate challenges, they had more time on their hands. And we had more and more clients reaching out to us, wanting us to offer a a sustainable portfolio offering. And we did. We launched it back in June 2020. And, you know, we had a huge uptake to start with. Now we have about one in five clients choosing to invest sustainably. And look, that's really a combination of some of our our younger investors, but also you know, I'm seeing more grandparents and parents opening sustainable portfolios for their children or for themselves because they're wanting to have a positive impact. Our portfolios are quite climate friendly. You know, they have far fewer carbon emissions and screen for things that have positive social, environmental and governance structures within them. So yeah, it's been hugely popular and I think it's only going to continue. And, and, you know, what we're seeing everywhere at the moment is this shift towards ESG investing and sustainable investing. It will be interesting interesting to see how it plays out. A lot of our clients ask, you know, how are the sustainable portfolios perform versus our model ones? And, you know, what we have to say is that there will always be periods where they're going to perform differently as they move through different cycles and and things like that. But yeah, it's a great product and offering to be able to offer our clients now. And yeah, definitely seeing growth in that space. It's also interesting to hear the demographic around that. You spoke a little bit about that, about younger investors or parents or potentially grandparents thinking about that. Can you talk a little bit about the demographic of people who are potentially investing on StockSpot or or maybe even in these specific products? Yeah, well, we have such a broad range of, I guess, clients. I think most of our clients fit into that sort of 30 to 50 range, you know, younger professionals. They've had money in savings for too long. They know they should be doing doing something different. So they're looking to invest. And I'd say, yeah, about a fifth of those are choosing to do it sustainably versus the rest are looking to do it in our model portfolios. But a huge area of growth for us as well has been investing for kids. It has been phenomenal. So particularly again through COVID, um, we had a huge uh, rise in, you know, women, mums and dads reaching out, wanting to create better financial futures for their children and looking to open portfolios on behalf of their children through us. So that's something that we 
we, yeah, that we love and it, it's great. You know, we offer kids investing for free up to $10,000. So that's certainly a great product benefit. And then I guess we've definitely got our more seasoned clients as well who, you know, have probably been DIY investing, so doing it themselves. And it's probably a smaller proportion, but, you know, they've accumulated a fair bit of wealth and they know that there's a better way to do it and they want to save time. They want someone to manage it for them and they've really potentially been a bit burnt through other investments. So they're moving across to stock spot. So it's such a a broad sweep, but certainly our, our biggest proportion is in that sort of that young professional category. Yeah, I'd love to just ask you a little bit more of how to invest for a child. Like as a parent, you know, that's something that I think about quite a bit, the future for my child and and how that aligns with my values. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, up until recently, the main ways are really keeping the money in a savings account, but we know that that's not going to do them any favors. It's not growing ahead of inflation. And yeah, it's not going to really help them reach a goal. You could put it in a couple of shares and hope that those individual shares do well, which I think a lot of people have done up until now. Or you can use the old school insurance bonds, investment bonds, education bonds, any of those things that are sort of tax paid over the course of the investment, but typically lack the capital growth. And then you've got something like Stockspot where you can actually sign up, access a low cost, diversified ETF portfolio that you're investing in on behalf of your child. And we've actually done a really good analysis looking at the growth of a a high growth portfolio with the low cost ETS versus something like an insurance bond. And for someone who might be on the highest marginal rate, and this style of investing does actually put you ahead. And I think that's what's attractive for clients. So, you know, We have clients who might hold it up until their child turns 18, then transfer it over to the child, or they could continue to hold it until the child's 21, 30, whenever they think they're old enough to potentially, you know, use the money for whether it's university, travel, funding their education, whatever they want to do. So yeah, this is a really good way for people to be investing. I think that's why we've seen such immense popularity from parents and grandparents. So what happens for those parents who do want to transfer over assets to their child when they turn 18 or a specific age? How do they go about that? Yeah. So with our clients, they own the investments in their name under a HIN, which is actually a really, really safe way to be owning your investments. So let's say, yeah, the child turns 18, they would then open an account in their name and you can do it via an off-market transfer. So it's really a change of beneficial ownership from the parent over to the child. Now, the parent is likely to inherit that capital gains liability that may be due at that point in time. But then it means, you know, there's this beautiful pool of money that you can transfer over to your child they don't have to sell down and they can continue to hold the portfolio that way. And I think that's a really attractive option for many parents. I mean, this is something they're probably not doing for 10, 15 or, you know, 15 or years more. So it's something they're deferring until much later on and potentially are in a different, you know, tax bracket and income bracket at that stage of their life. So yeah, it's a great option. The alternative is that you can sell down and then rebuy in the child's name or give them the cash if that's what you wanted to do. So it's quite flexible. What a great gift when it comes to generational wealth and financial literacy for your children. So um, I love seeing more of the invest for children and how that works out. I'd be charging them the capital gains. (laughs) I wouldn't be taking that on myself. (laughs) It's funny. I think it's a very common question we get as well is, you know, what are the tax implications for me as the parent? A lot of parents are quite conscious of that. But, you know, I think once they understand the benefit for their children, yeah, they go ahead with it anyway. So, yeah. It goes hand in hand with financial literacy, knowing the tax implications of that stuff, I think. Yeah, they absolutely go hand in hand. Yeah. 
So as the, uh, the token girly man here, may I ask about the particular issues that impact women in investing? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. You know, there's those headline issues that are becoming increasingly spoken about. Women are retiring with a third less super than men. We're seeing more women retire in poverty. We're seeing gender pay gaps continuing. We know that women take time out of the workforce to raise children. So they might miss out on promotions. They might be paying less into their super. And all of these things can, you know, set women further back. And that's sort of on a a headline basis. But the more women I speak with, I understand that some of their issues are quite unique to their circumstances. You know, I speak with women who might have lost a loved one and they've got an inheritance that they need to invest wisely and that's a concern for them. I speak with professional women who are so time poor, they know they should be doing something with their money but they just aren't getting around to it so they leave their money in cash and miss valuable time in the market. Similar thing, mothers wanting to create better futures for their children. So it really depends on the client but, you know, I think the underlying message for a lot of women is that you need time. So the sooner you can start, the better. And I know that women can often put other priorities ahead of their own. And when it comes to investing, just starting is the most important thing and knowing that it's accessible. And if you don't have time, get help. Use something like Stockspot or go and ask for help so that you can start to bridge those gaps if you've had time out of the market, if you don't have enough in super. And, you know, we're all living for longer. We've potentially got decades ahead to invest. So that's still a lot of time. So it's never, never too late to start. So I think anything you can do to bridge any of those gaps is really important and certainly what I speak to a lot of women about. And uh, why ETFs for Stockspot? Good question. (laughs) How long have we got? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, ETFs are just such a fantastic way to get huge amounts of diversification, pay really low fees, get transparency over what you're investing in and keep your portfolio really simple. So in our portfolios, we have a lot of index ETFs. So no, you're buying a whole asset class through a single ETF. You know, we use a Vanguard Australian share ETF for our Australian asset class, tracking Australia's top 300 companies. So you're just buying the market. And, you know, that's sort of replicated. We have gold, we have bonds, we have emerging market shares and global developed market shares. And it just means that, you know, if you were to go and buy all of those shares yourself, imagine the amount of brokerage you'd have to pay. Imagine the amount of stress and time investment in managing that and hoping that all of those shares do well. So it's a great way for a ton of shares to be wrapped up into a single, I guess, basket and just put your money in. And, you know, we make sure that we have five different asset classes in the portfolio to help to reduce risk, but also help our clients to grow their money and have that protection along the way. So the simple ETFs are certainly our preferred choice of investments. There's a lot of ETFs out there now. I think there's getting close to 300 listed on the ASX, more and more complexity coming into the space. There's a lot of thematics as well, you know, technology, healthcare, robotics, whatever it is. I think those thematics might potentially be coming the new stock picking. So it's really important even with ETFs now to keep it simple, go with your index or commodity ETFs, have a balance of growth and defensive ETFs and yeah, get advice if you don't know which ones to choose because it's even getting more challenging in that space as well. I think you talked a little bit about distributions at the beginning of this conversation. How do those get reinvested or do they or what does Stockspot do with that? 
Yeah. So each quarter, our clients receive distributions from some of the share ETFs and the bond ETF in our portfolios. And yeah, really, we want to make sure our clients are reinvesting those. So that's really the default option with Stockspot. They get paid into the client's cash account, and then we can reinvest those, usually together with some top-up money. And usually, we can take advantage of buying into an asset class that might be a little bit underweight, and that helps with the portfolio rebalancing. But the longer you're reinvesting the distributions that only helps with the compounding of returns over time. Now, I mean, we do have some retirees who want to access their distributions to fund cost of living. So we can help tailor that with them as well. But yeah, the majority of our clients, we're reinvesting those for them to help with the long-term capital growth. You said one of the questions you got quite a bit was, are distributions and dividends the same? Yes. So we get that a lot. Um, So distributions is like a collective term of of the income that you earn from ETFs. So dividend is traditionally known as income from a share. You know, you buy a share in a company, you get some income and that's the dividend payment. But for ETFs, they're called distributions. So it's one and the same thing. But yeah, sometimes we do have to articulate that to our clients and explain that, yeah, it's income you earn from the ETFs in your portfolio. And we want to be reinvesting that as much as possible. That's why it's great talking to professionals. They can uh, answer our questions on behalf of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah, what's the minimum investment for Stockspot? Yeah, it's $2,000. So pretty low. And what we do for the smaller amounts of money, you know, with $2,000, you'll get an allocation to Australian shares and the bond ETF. And then as you gradually top up, we phase in the other ETFs into the portfolio. So gold and then the two global share ETFs. So yeah, super low. Even if you don't have enough, you can pop money into your Stockspot cash account, build your way up to get there. And then bang, as soon as it hits 2000, we automatically invest that for our clients. They don't need to let us know all updates in their dashboard and they can view and track everything for their portfolio in our app or yeah, in their online dashboard as well. And is there an annual expectation of um, investing after that $2,000? No, completely up to the client and what aligns with their financial circumstances. We do recommend if you're starting with a small amount, trying to top up so you can get that fully diversified portfolio as soon as possible. But yeah, the top ups are really flexible. You can set it to align with, you know, your excess savings that you have each month. Other clients just like to put in a lump sum on an ad hoc basis. So it can really, really work for them needs and what they're looking to do. But topping up is always a good thing. I'll always recommend topping up to clients. It's only going to benefit them. (laughs) And if anyone wants to learn more about investing, where should they go? Good question. Well, they can definitely come to the Stockspot website. Our blog is full of a lot of great content. But, you know, I think always go to credible sources. The ASX has a ton of great info, you know, money smart. There's a lot of great content online, but just make sure that it's credible. You know, there's also a lot of, yeah, less credible sources out there at the moment as well. So otherwise, you know, chat to family, friends, pick up some books, you know, read some books from some of the top investors in the world, your Warren Buffetts of the like. Yeah, and listen to podcasts like this. Um, <laughs> tune in. There's so much out there now. And I think that that's what is great, you know, and it's really helping to to raise education standards and financial literacy here and, and probably around the world as well. Fantastic. Sarah, thank you very much for your time today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Sarah. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend. It may help them and help us keep going with the show. Also, don't forget to rate us. 
ETFs for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not ETFs for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 